The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. And they were coming down the mountain, He ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. I wonder how many of you have had an encounter with a person that has remarkably changed your life. That's what I always think of when I think of the transfiguration. I have had that moment. Um, Not only did they remarkably change me, but they also formed me, made me partially Um, the person that I am today. Today's readings are all about encounter and change. That's what we see time and again in the Gospels with Jesus. We see him encountering someone in the midst of some sort of trouble or something in their life or a question or you name it, and them asking for something to be healed or what is the answer to this or teacher, what is this or help me, I can't see and they're changed. So you have encounter and change, and it happens all the time. The message is replete with it all the time. And so that is the way that we encounter Christ too, is encounter and change. We go to him and we are changed. Some of us deal with it better than others. Others of us do not like change at all, even though it may be the Holy Spirit himself who is directing the change. Change is never easy. Some will say, um, and for the most part, they are right. Change is not easy. And so imagine this. You are a follower of Christ, one of the disciples, later to be called an apostle. You have followed him everywhere. You have been waiting for the Messiah to show up. And finally, it happens. This extraordinary moment on the mountain the one for whom you've been searching for. It happens so quickly, and it is so amazing that we can hardly fathom it. I mean, when you think about it, you can't even really imagine 
what it must have been like to be on that mountain, to see that. And when you know what we know, having just read the reading from Kings, who Elijah was, and we know who Moses was, you have this buildup of these two great figures of the faith, one the chief prophet, one the chief lawgiver, the prophets and the law. On all of them hang all the prophets and the law. And so you have Moses and you have Elijah, and you have the Messiah changed all at once. And if that weren't enough, you have the Father, God, looking on them and saying, listen to my son, listen to him. How extraordinary it must have been. We live our lives oftentimes as a people of faith, wanting sometimes to have a mountaintop experience. In fact, more often than not, a lot of you, when you came into the faith, had that mountaintop experience. Something happened to you that changed you forever. And it was great, and it was wonderful, and it filled you. I had those types of experiences. I've had them several times in my life. But that's not where we dwell at. That's not where our life is. In fact, if you had the opportunity to sort of look at us in long view, what you would notice is, is that probably our feet are bruised and cut from coming down the mountain because that's where we spend most of our time at. I think it's a key phrase in there today, coming down the mountain. Of course we want to do things to stay up on top. We do. What do we want to do? We want to build a place to worship, just like Peter did. Peter gets into trouble all the time for this particular pericope of Scripture. He says, uh, let us build a booth and let us stay up here and worship, and we poke fun at him. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you or I had been there in that moment and seen Jesus and saw Elijah and saw Moses and heard God, we'd want to build something too. Now, not only would we want to build something, but today we'd want to put a park and Wi-Fi and, you know, a 100-story building and um, a parking deck and everything else. Um, and, and so you've got this really astonishing thing. And so, you know, go easy on Peter. It's not that, it's not that you know, big of a deal. And he couldn't think of anything else to say, it says. So he just blurted that out. And we've all been in those moments where something extraordinary happens and, and you don't know what to say. And as if that weren't enough, you have this voice of God. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. I always wish that I could talk like um, James Earl Jones, Darth Vader. That's, that's the way I think God sounded, probably. Um, this is my son. You know, so you just want, that's the way you want it to sound. Um, Luke. No. So, so, you know, <laughs> that's what you want to happen, but it doesn't quite work out that way, maybe. You know, he may have sounded like Mike Tyson, for all I know. So, so anyway, um, we, but that's not where we spend our time at. We spend our time coming down the mountain. Um, we are a people who are called to exist in the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's where we spend our time at, because that's where the rubber meets the road, where the metal meets the meat. That is where we are and where we exist in the difficulties of life. And it's an ambiguous place. It's gray. It's not black and white. 
we know that our faith exists in the ambiguities of life, not in the certainties. There are not many days with certainties. In fact, there's a great quote, there are never days with certainties except for the ones that end in a body count. Those are the only days with certainties. And so we live our life in the valley where there's ambiguity. We live our life coming down the hill. We live our life day to day, meeting our brothers and sisters, encountering them and looking for Christ in them and almost always finding Him even though we can't see it most of the time. We just can't recognize it in front of our face when we meet Him. But there He is. And so, what happens in our faith? What happens so many times, and the reason that pastors and teachers do such a bad job, including myself, is that we never teach this lesson. We talked about this in the Bible study the other night on Wednesday night. We never teach the lesson, and what happens is a new person comes into the church, and they've had this mountaintop experience, and they're just on fire for Jesus Christ. They are, they've had something extraordinary happen that is almost like being on the mountain. They just, they're bewildered at how amazing it is. It's like an outer body experience. I've heard people describe it to me that way. And they have this, and it's extraordinary. They want everybody to know about it, and it's great. And they come into the church, and they're on fire, and then six months later, they're gone. And we'll call them. We'll call them and say, John, what, you know, what happened? You were here, and, 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 and now you're not. What, you know, what happened? And, and John will say, not this John, but John will say, um, he'll say, um, well, it, life went back to the way it was. And so, therefore, I just really don't believe. I don't think that God would do that. I, th I thought that it was supposed to stay like that forever. And we do this poor job as teachers and preachers, not only the ordained people, but even the lay people, because you've been through this before. Those of you that have been in the faith for a long time have been through this before. You know that you don't stay on top of the mountaintop. That's not where your life is at. And so the best thing that we can do when we have people into the church that are in that moment is to celebrate that with them but to also pray that prayer that we use all the time, shield the joyous, that we use it in Compline, shield the joyous, so that we can say to them, wow, this is wonderful, and it speaks to me so greatly, but just remember, you're going to be back down here with us pretty soon, and we need you here. We want you here to help us know what to do. All the time, we come down from the mountain this time, they come down with a new law, a directive for sure. This is my son. Listen to him. They will come down the mountain, and they will listen intently, and what they will hear are really three things that will forever change the world. The first thing that Jesus will say when they come down the mountain is that the Son of Man will be betrayed and handed over to strangers who will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. You're in the valley now. Nothing good about that. They don't want to believe it. None of us really want to believe it. We know the ending, but it's still hard to take. It's still hard to understand. That's not the person that they were expecting. That's not the Messiah they wanted. They wanted the horse-drawn carriage of Elijah coming in, the chariots of Israel carrying a king who yielded his sword. That's what they wanted, and what they got 
was one who surrounded himself with 12 broken individuals, one of them so broken that he would not believe that this could actually happen and would give up and go sell him for the money and betrayed him. He will be betrayed and die. It's discontinuity. It doesn't add up. It's counterintuitive, maybe. Next, he'll look at the disciples and say, as I have loved you, you must love one another and everyone else. For the Son of Man came to, be, to, came to serve, not to be served. Love one another and serve each other. Again, it really makes no sense. The Messiah they were looking for was to be strong, to rule the world, to kick out the Roman traitors, was to be high and above, seated the way that we think of a king being seated, not someone at the feet of someone washing those feet. It just doesn't add up to them. It doesn't add up to us. But that's what it's like in the valley. That's where you're at. Lastly, in the meal, he said to them, take this bread and think of it as me. And drink from this cup, for it's my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Which brings us to the whole reason for the transfiguration. It is the moment when Moses takes the law back and God says, listen to my son, because the new law will be written on your heart. It is the moment when the prophecies no longer matter because they have been fulfilled and Elijah will take them back. It is the moment when God says, listen to him for what he says is about to redeem you unto me. And it will be grace. It will be a new law. The old one will have passed away on this mountain. He will come and be changed so that they may see and understand. Because the next mountain he will ascend will be one called Golgotha. The very next thing. But let me just say this. We live in the valley. We struggle day and day out. We work with one another, searching for Christ. He's always there in front of us. He never leaves us. I think that most of the time that we go into life thinking that we've been devoid of the Spirit or God has left us in the midst of illness, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of you name it. And the fact of the matter is, is that's just not the case because we know what we know. And what do we know? We know that the mountains have been brought low that the low places have been lifted up and that there is a straight path that's been made, that it's no longer a mountaintop or a valley, that it's all one straight path and Jesus Christ walks with us every step of the way. It never changes. So that when we're in the midst of tragedy, when we're in the midst of death, when we're in the midst of the disease that's been given to us, in the midst of the child that we've lost or the divorce that we've had, you name it, the mountain has been made low, the valley has been lifted up, and a straight path has been given in Jesus Christ. That is good news. It's unshakable. I've often said that the calendar is very, very cruel, the liturgical calendar, because, you know, we have a great Christmas. We celebrate the arrival of Christ in Advent. We have these great celebrations and parties and eat entirely too much. And we have these great services and music. And I always tell people, 
usually around Christmas Eve or maybe the last week of Advent, you know, be careful because in three months you're going to be shouting, crucify him. And that's where we're headed. That's this week, Wednesday. We turn inwards to ourselves. We go back into the valley. We go back there where Christ will be with us to look at ourselves, to see what it is, where we need to change, where we are. That is where we are headed beginning on Ash Wednesday. We'll travel slowly and with intent to arrive at grace on another mountain, one where even the last word has not been spoken yet, because the last word has not been spoken, because the word spoken will save us all and be open to all. And do you know what those words are? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what it is that they do. Let us stand and say the words of our faith in the Nicene Creed. 